Hey, bro. What's up? Did my use of bro come across as authentic to you? Um, I don't know. It felt a little bit uh, derisive, if I'm being honest. But oh, damn it! I'm trying to. <laughs> I want to. I want to be able to use that word without uh without it seeming. Uh, I want to use it the way straight guys use it. It's one of my new goals. <laughs> Oh, I believe in you. Practice makes perfect. I think I can get there. I definitely think I can get there. Um, well, I'm on, I guess, day three or four of uh, Twitter jail. Oh, yeah. I want to thank Elon for my time in the re-education camp because I've now gone down a um total rabbit hole and i'm trying to solve a crime from 10 years ago and i've read 300 pages of um criminal legal documents so um i want to thank elon for my newest i'm not going to say anything else about it on the pod because i i I don't know what it's going to be yet but i am uh i am on the case did you crack the case not yet but someone out there Someone out there, I'm coming for you, motherfucker, because I think I I think it was you. So if any of our um if any of our uh listeners have killed someone, just keep in mind it could have been the one I chose to investigate. So huh. yeah, I think there's a murderer running free. And I think I I think I know who he is and where he is. So <laughs> okay. So really, I think my mental health is better without Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like um, <laughs> there have been some changes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there have been. I also want to shout out. Um, I want to shout out. Who was it? I, w- I want to get his uh, his app right. I want to shout out at your Slavic movie. Um, you made me cry, little baby Russian twink. Um, he posted a photo today that said Miss Flamergate a lot, and it had Donna Tart on it, and it actually brought a little bit of a tear tears to my eyes. So uh-huh. I just wanted to say you're super cute, you're super sweet, you're super smart. Um, I love being uh, umfies with you. So thanks for the thanks for the shout out. Yeah, I think we all miss you. Um, I have been trying to, you know, get the free Flamergate movement going. Um, you got at least six or seven accounts to retweet it. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel some love. I feel some love. Um, but I do want everyone to know that I'm going to come back worse than ever. So <laughs> I'm going to be even more unhinged. I'm not even going to hold back anymore no more passive aggressive bullshit no more sarcasm i'm gonna say what i mean so all right well we can look forward to that Um, yeah when are you back on 
I think I'm allowed to go start t- tweeting again tomorrow or Monday, maybe. I'm really nice. trying to think of what I want to open with. Um, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll figure it out. Um, I really want to open with something like, I really want to open with a banger, you know? So it's, it's been difficult to uh, come up with like a, you know, a, a really like uh, of the moment banger. I have been writing my, like, what I think, um, you know, some, some things that I might think happen in the next, I'm trying to do one of those, like what might happen in the next year, pop culture things, but I don't have any ones that are that good yet. The one I saw that was best, and I guess I should shout him out too, cause he's, he's also very funny. Um, oh, what is his at? He is very funny. I'll figure out his app before the end of the app, but um, <laughs> he uh, oh the Booth Fairy. Some of you know the oh, Booth yeah. Fairy. He's very funny, um, and his uh, he's at Saint Trisla, and one of his uh, 2023 uh, pop culture predictions is Dylan Mulvaney at the Met Gala. <laughs> That's, that's like for good. sure gonna happen. Ah, that's gotta happen. Yeah, right? I'm actually kind of surprised that didn't already happen. But um, yeah, yeah, I think we're gonna get Dylan Mulvaney at the Met Gala. You and I are still on the Lizzo's gonna go to the moon thing. Um, yeah, although that I think one is just keeps like getting more and more likely as time goes on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll figure it out. I might, I might just, I might just come out the gate with some full blown um, anti semitism or something. So everyone, <laughs> everyone, get ready. <laughs> I may have, I maybe I got really into race science during my ban. So we'll see. Yeah, well, it's it's a it's a proven formula for success. I know all you have to do is do a little bit of racist shit on Twitter and everyone loves, <laughs> everyone follows you. Hate follows you. Um, do you want to, should we, I mean, did you bring any like non main topic of the week shit? Uh, um, I feel like, didn't we have something? I know Twitter jail, <laughs> you, your, your hard time was one of them, but. I mean, there's the Trump, there's the Trump trading cards. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't even know what's going on with that. I don't think what? they're that. I mean, it's very him. I'm not sure if it's like, I don't know. I don't have really anything to say about it. It's like, <laughs> it's fine um, with me, and I think it's sort of funny. I think he could do better. Oh, I mean, I guess we could talk about Yoel Roth. Do you know about him? No, no idea. Never heard of that person. All right. So I'll, I'll red pill you on Riel Roth, which will take approximately <laughs> seven seconds. Um, so role, Yol Roth was Twitter's uh, chief, like basically fucking gulag censor. Oh. Yeah. Um, uh, and hate to point it out, but Roth, if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> so he uh, he was 
I guess, responsible for a lot of the um, the Twitter shit. And, uh, of course, he's, like, had to flee his home or whatever. Oh, I don't know. God. They always yeah, they always yeah. claim that the, the neo-Nazis <laughs> are coming for them. Um, <laughs> his, him and his family had to leave their Bay Area uh, home. I'm sure it was, like, a fucking... Three million dollar Victorian. Um, <laughs> well, you heard about the ham, the Pelosi hammer attack. You, I know they got to get the fuck out of that neighborhood. Um, so he, I'm trying to figure out what his actual title was because I just have been calling him Chief Censor. Uh, I don't even fucking remember. But <laughs> Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss have been releasing the Twitter files and there's a bunch of internal conversations between Roth and other employees in which he discusses whether or not to ban Trump, which is funny because, you know, the left right now is having a full, like shitting their diapers, fucking meltdown, monstrous meltdown because Elon suspended those like liberal journalists. And it's like, they're, it's like they're fucking January 6th all over again. (laughs) Um, When Yoel Roth, uh, suspended the actual sitting president of the of the United States of America from the platform. I can't think of it even. I can't think of a more egregious and absurd uh, like violation of the First Amendment. Truly, I believe that. I'm not. I'm not being like annoying. Like, I how how the fuck can you ban the president from using your your platform and still <laughs> you know whatever? Anyway, it's just the whole thing is. The whole thing is is um, fake, gay, and retarded. So again, learn nothing at Elon's uh, thing. But I guess what here's what people think are funny. So I'm going to read the abstract from Yul Roth's 2009 um, dissertation. He got it, or I guess he got his dissertation at two, in 2016 at UPenn. So of course he's you know was prime to become chief censor at Twitter. <laughs> Dissertation in what? <laughs> well, just get ready. So he has a PhD in communication, which is a fake, uh, completely fake. I don't even know what that means. It's like <laughs> yeah. having a, it's like having a dissertation in farting or something. It's like you have a dissertation in like communicating, I guess. Um, something that everyone does. Um, so here's his abstract. Since its launch in 2009, the Geo social networking service Grinder has become an increasingly mainstream and prominent part of gay culture, both in the United States and globally. Mobile applications like Grinder give users the ability to quickly and easily share information about themselves in the form of text, numbers, and pictures and connect with each other in real time on the basis of geographic proximity. I argue that these services constitute an important site for examining how bodies, identities, and communications are translated into data. (laughs) As well as how data becomes a tool for forming, understanding, and managing personal relationships. Fucking psychopath alert. Wow. Um... Throughout this work, I articulate a model of networked interactivity and act that conceptualizes self-expression as an act determined by three, sometimes overlapping, sometimes conflicting sets of affordances and constraints. 
half of this, like these fucking techno jargon people, I just fucking hate techno commercial structures of software and business, cultural and subcultural cultural norms, mores, histories, and standards of acceptable and expected (laughs) conduct and socio-political tendencies that appear to be, but in fact are not fixed techno commercial structures. In these discussions, Grinder serves, and like again, this is just like giving me trauma back to my feminist studies days when I used words like liminal. Um, in these discussions, Grinder serves as both a model of processes that apply on social networking more generally as generally as well as a particular study into how networked interactivity is complicated by the histories and particularity particularities of Western gay culture. Over the course of the dis- dissertation, I suggest ways in which users, policymakers, and developers can productively recognize the liveness, vitality, and durability of personal information in the design, implementation, and use of gay-targeted social networking services. Specifically, I argue that through a focus on open-ended structures of interface design, clear and, picked, and transparent articulation of service policies, and the rationales behind them, and approaches to user information that promote da- data sovereignty, designers, developers, and advocates can work to make social networking services, including Grindr, safer and more representative of their throughout their data cycle. So all this about a site where at 7 a.m. you can fucking message someone and get a literal picture of a butthole back into your screen. That's <laughs> that's what we're that's what we're talking about here. So it's like it's really, really, really like trying to like, you know, the revolutionary um you know aspects of grinder. So and people wow. are pissed. Um, if you want the full why people are pissed thing, um, people are pissed because uh, he, in part of the thing, he talks about how miners are already on Grinder, And actually it's like a disingenuous reading of what he said because he makes the argument that miners are already on Grindr and we should probably, the Grindr should probably acknowledge that and figure out a way to like make it safe for them. But I'm like, actually, I think the opposite is true and Grindr should just do what other sex sites do where you have to submit your, a picture of your ID. And if you're not over 18, you don't get to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you don't get to be on the, you don't get to be in the sex site, you know. <laughs> Seems so, reasonable. Um, yeah. Um so that's sort of I guess a take. Like I don't I mean I don't know what to uh make of it. Like I don't know why someone who was writing about like grinder became the lead twitter censor do you have something that you think Uh, i mean it's classic i mean it's just so he's uh, just a fucking fed like all the rest of them i mean how he spent what seven years or something like research doing some hard research on grinder and like turning out like 30 clause sentences and shit yeah, and what's funny about it is that he has a twin brother who went to Wharton, so they were both at Penn. Oh, and they both just... Um, they both just, you know, they both just seemingly are, like, just these, like, credentialed, like, you know, lizard people, uh, 
man, <laughs> instead of the bourgeoisie, the manageoisie, <laughs> like the people designed to like, you know, just control other people. And it's because they're, uh, um, they have a, a slightly marginalized identity, even though they're white men. So, um, they're able they're to connected like, to like spooks from their Ivy league education and they're hand selected. Cause they'll, they think the right things according to the CIA and the whatever, and they'll censor whoever they're told to censor. <laughs> yeah. And he's, yeah. And they're, I mean, he, they're clearly like feds. They're clearly like, you know, they're, they're, in the sense of like, they, they rose to such prominent positions because they were um, able to, yeah, they, they were able to kind of be the perfect like amalgamation of identity markers that brought them um, power. And, you know, his whole dissertation, he uses his own in the field research. <laughs> um, so he's just talking about his own sex life. And I just don't think that's a valid place of like academic research. And like, Basically, this person got hundreds of thousands of dollars to do this from the University of Pennsylvania and then immediately was, you know, at an extremely high level position or not immediately, but fairly quickly was at an extremely high level position of um, at Twitter where he, he, basically his his job was just <laughs> to make sure that there was um, nothing, you know, that there was just nothing of uh, anything that like went against the like mainstream narrative right now. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it's bullshit. Um, here's another thing from his, uh, let's see. I don't know if I want to read more of it. I, just forget <laughs> I it. I mean, it was pretty entertaining, honestly. Yeah. I mean, so, okay, here's a little more of it. This is the part Elon retweeted. Um, it's worth considering how, if at all, the current generation of popular sites of gay network social ability might fit into an overall queer social landscape that increasingly includes individuals under the age of 18. Even with the service's extensive content management, Grindr may well be too lewd or too hookup-oriented to be safe and age-appropriate resource for teenagers. May well be... Too lewd or too hookup oriented. It is obviously, obviously no one who is not an adult should be on Grindr. That is ridiculous. <laughs> what a ridiculous thing to even like it, it, it is obviously too, you can, you can look at someone getting fisted and like in live, live action, you know, like obviously children shouldn't be on that. Um, the fact that people under 18 are on these services already indicates that we can't readily dismiss these platforms out of hand as loci for queer youth culture, rather than merely trying to absolve themselves of legal responsibility, or worse, trying to drive out teenagers entirely. I don't know why that would be worse. Why is it I think worse? Keeping Grinder out of the hands of uh, teens and students is actually incredibly. Um, homophobic Q. I think we I need to incorporate mandatory sex education is every student a grinder account. Okay. Well, 
Anyway, so he wants Grinder to find a way to make it more palatable for teenagers, which I'm just like, <laughs> no. Uh, so he's like, I guess he's scared for his life now. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how valid that is, but um, I just can't believe he spent like however long years getting paid like a stipend of some sorts as you said tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars to just be like swiping on grinder yeah so here's what he got accused of that really make people mad uh between january 2020 and november 2022 there were over 150 emails between the fbi and yoel roth like oh, why it's almost too predictable honestly and the fbi had 80 agents that entire job um was to identify alleged foreign influence um on twitter 80 agents <laughs> 80 people's salaries that's i mean how much does an fbi agent agent make you know how many Epstein or how, how many FBI agents are working on the Epstein case? <laughs> Not 80. <laughs> um, so, and the whole thing was that like these 80 FBI agents and him were going to take action on misinformation. Um, and they even were often targeting low follower joke accounts. Um, which shows you how terrified these people are of anyone saying fucking anything that's against their, like, um, you know, like their mainstream narrative. Uh, the you got banned. And I get banned. Yeah, me. <laughs> 450 followers. You, you uh, got banned after Elon Musk's takeover. I know, but I think I just tripped. I honestly think I just tripped an algorithm. I don't think anyone reported me or anything. I just think I, like... I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. There was like too many words in my tweet. Um, <laughs> so the Homeland Security uh, partnered with private security contractors and think tanks to pressure Twitter to moderate content. Um, the government obviously analyzes bulk data for all sorts of purposes. Um Age, so they so we know they analyze bulk data for a quote unquote tracking terror suspects and making economic for forecasts. The Twitter files show something new. Agencies like the FBI and DHS regularly sending social media content to Twitter through multiple entry points pre-flagged for moderation. So FBI and Department of Homeland Security are sending Yoel Roth and his team tweets that they think should not be on Twitter in their opinion or whatever. Um, what stands out is the sheer quantity of the reports. Um, the FBI set up a hotline for people to report misinformation. And I'm just like, are we in Soviet <laughs> Russia? Like that's, that's what Soviet I mean, yes. Russia was like. like that's what Soviet Russia was like. It's like your neighbor spying on the neighbor who's spying on the neighbor who's spying on the neighbor, you know? Um, and then, so, anyway, the, I guess to make a long story short, they, um, 
yeah, the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security and all these agents getting paid all this money were in contact with Yul Roth and all his people getting paid all this money. And the whole goal was to um, censor dissenters. And the, it's it's funny to me that the left, which I don't even want to call them the left anymore because they're so utterly disgraced in my mind, but this is exactly what the FBI and the CIA were doing in the 60s and 70s with the counter-revolutionary left, right? Like the whole idea was- It's way worse now. Yeah, well, the whole idea was to monitor them, to assassinate them, to, you know, get them like that was like literally what they were doing with the left then. And now because the le- because the machine has gobbled the left into its like belly and now it's the same methods of control. It's just that now there's a new paradigm for who has power and who doesn't. And the new paradigm is that if you can claim any sort of like victim or marginal identity, you um, are able to kind of like be in those power structures. And like, it's getting really, really hard to deny that now. Right. Cause like, why are all these grifters trying to pretend to have marginalized identities if they're not financially benefiting from it, you know? The gay triarchy. Yeah. So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what that's what was going on with Yol Roth and it's just like I just find it so I just find the left's whole obsession with like wrong think and wrong speak to be so um, authoritarian and fascist and they don't even realize it. And now it's actually like the New York times. I'm sure this is some sort of op too, but now the New York times is releasing, you know, this huge article today or yesterday that was all about how leftist organizations are essentially crumbling because within the organizations, they're spending all of their time just infighting with each other about like, who's more racist or something. (laughs) And it's like, none of them are actually doing any activism anymore because they're just having these like constant, like tribunals about microaggressions and like marginalized and yeah. Yeah. Who's more marginalized, who should be in charge. And it's like once one, once one person or one group gets in charge, they, that they, they are suddenly oppressors in some way to some other group. And it's like, it's just, and it's like hilarious to me because it's like the identity politics has, has, has fucked the left so hard that their major organizations can't even function at all anymore. <laughs> they can't do anything. They can't even, they can't even go and give and give lunches to to kids or whatever. Like that's what the black Panthers used to do. The black Panthers used to like go out into Oakland and like have like a hundred thousand free lunches. They would like pass out to kids on the street. Like, but they can't even do that anymore because they're all just sitting around like reading (laughs) Robin D'Angelo and talking about their fucking white guilt. That's all they're doing. Well, that's the goal. Yeah, so it's just hilarious to me. Those who are in power, yeah. Yeah, the left is totally cucked by all this shit. 
Yeah. Well, and the 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 uh, kind of obsession with misinformation and censorship, censoring ideas, is yeah. They had to think of a way to get the left on board with this um, because it's essential to the powers that be maintaining control. It was much easier in the days of the old school kind of television-based propaganda and mass media dissemination system where you had you had uh you had TV, radio and print media and those were all relatively centralized and as you know things like operation mockingbird where the CIA um, installed their agents in in many cases, like they were just outright had uh, journalists and editors, um, producers on their payroll were just like directly paying them. They were in some sense, employees of the CIA In other cases they were more informants or whatever, but, um, and you could just control all the narratives that went out. But now with the rise of the internet and social media, it's become so much more decentralized. And so the only way to control the information is to actively, you can't just control the information that's put out there because anyone can put information out there. So you have to suppress, you have to actively suppress any information that's threatening to the propaganda narrative. I just can't believe the left has been so co-opted to basically just, and like, and I'm not giving the right any passes either because, you know, basically, but it's just interesting. It's just fascinating to me that like the right kind of doesn't give a, really doesn't give that much of a shit who you are. You can be a fucking flaming faggot. Like if if you want to hang out with them, they'll let you hang out with them. But now the left has just like sliced everything down to the point where it's like, you know, they just continually like reject uh, essentially like almost like difference. And it's like, it's fascinating to, it's just, it's just fascinating to watch what's happened and how, um, how well it has worked and how many people I know are just, um, are just totally, uh, bought into it and it's it, it is it is like soviet russia it is like everyone is spying on anyone and you know what i don't think there should be any fucking moderation content moderation on twitter why, why why the fuck does there have to be let it rip let people put all of their shit out there let everyone put all of their shit out there and let people decide what the fuck is and and you know what i mean i guess the problem is this is what they're always going to argue wow. is like there can be mass uh you know, manipulation in the sense of like, you know, they always want to like the Russian bots and stuff. But the truth is, is like the government is putting out the bots. The, the, the literally, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like the <laughs> Department of Defense, th- this is a real story. You can look it up. It wasn't, you know, it's not going to be on the front page of the New York Times, but like, yeah, the Department of Defense was by far like, you know, uh, creating the most bot, like disinformation bots of any organization or nation in the world right so it's like it's just fascinating to me that like like they're the straw man that they point at is them they're the ones that are manipulating (laughs) social media they're the ones that are making it impossible for anyone to have 
any actual information about the vaccine or like all this stuff with COVID. Like they're the ones that have like just complete and like, and they basically just, you know, the left, like all these leftists have just raised their hand up and been sworn in as FBI agents and they don't even fucking realize they've, they've done it. (laughs) They don't even realize it, but they're basically just unpaid deputized (laughs) FBI agents going around like reporting everyone on uh on twitter it's That's just right. anyway so i guess the other thing we we did talk about i forgot and it's like semi-related to this is do you want to go into a little bit about T- tucker going full hog on the jfk's conspiracy yeah yeah i want to hear your take on it well i mean um i actually didn't even watch the full thing i watched the first few minutes of it um but i watched the i think most of the clip um I mean, it's been obvious for to anyone, really, truly, it's been obvious that the CIA killed uh, JFK. <laughs> and I guess now we're getting close to them just sort of like admitting that. Being I don't. forced to admit it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I. I think that they're being forced to admit it partially because, well, I mean, they're admitting it at a time when it doesn't really make a difference because everyone who was involved in it is dead. So they can easily say, well, that's not the, that's not the CIA today or whatever, but it essentially what Tucker was saying, and this is, you and I had differing opinions on this. I've always essentially believed, believed this, even from my like, and I, I thought this was like a common belief, but like <laughs> the CIA and the FBI and the NSA and all these places are essentially operate as completely free of any sort of elected government and always have, you know? Yeah. I don't think, I mean, obviously there are many people who understand that, but I think a lot of people don't, a lot of people think they're legitimate law enforcement or whatever intelligence institutions that are, you know, serving them. I mean, there's so much propaganda, you know, Homeland and 24 and all this shit where it's, you know, like every movie that's about the FBI or the CIA, they're always heroes who are like, doing what it takes to save our nation from whatever threat, you know, I think a lot of people have internalized that and find it hard to accept that our own government would, um, would assassinate a sitting U S president. Well, I mean, it just proves what everyone has always known that the president isn't even really like, like it, this whole thing, the president, and like the cabinet and all of that, like none of that really matters. Like because the the <laughs> well, US people foreign think it poli- matters though. I mean, the US foreign policy is completely run by these other organizations that have that that don't answer to anyone, really. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's one of those things where it is pretty obvious, like once you actually stop to think about it, but a lot of people just don't. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a function of the, the propaganda. Um, yeah. And I've so gotten now- into arguments with people about it, like sh- almost like shouting me down if I mentioned that JFK was assassinated by the CIA or whatever. 
I mean, Tucker lays out how absurd the the the, the apparent the the apparent just it doesn't it doesn't make any it makes no sense. It's it's impossible what happened. So. Lee Harvey Oswald is allegedly a lone gunman who's able to shoot JFK a sniper style from whatever this, you know, like while he was driving through the streets. In a moving vehicle, yeah. In a moving vehicle, and he dies. His head explodes. And he somehow knew the route of the parade or whatever. Yeah. And then. Later, in my understanding, I have to look this up, but Tucker, I, I thought this is what Tucker said. Later that day, another lone gunman shoots and kills Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. That day. And, yeah. And they both had that, connections with uh, the FBI or and the CIA. <laughs> yeah. And then that second gunman is ruled criminally insane and incompetent to stand trial. Yep. <laughs> so and i mean if you look at the ballistic evidence it's beyond clear there couldn't have just been one shooter so at a minimum you know there was some other shooter just based on the physical evidence um and that was covered up and never discussed addressed really in the uh you know the whole magic bullet thing and whatever <laughs> yeah and then jack ruby who's the one who random this nightclub owner randomly out of nowhere uh who came and killed lee harvey oswald who who was um you know in no uh (laughs) i guess i guess i guess lee harvey oswald wasn't being protected in any way to make sure we could hear what you know um what what he said but um yeah, and he yeah. was he killed in while in police custody, basically like on his way into the jail or the courthouse or something. Uh, the Jack Ruby, I th- supposedly did it because he just loved Jay, J- or he felt bad for uh, Jackie. He was like avenging her. <laughs> yeah, no and sense. basically, <laughs> yeah, he said that he was saving Mrs. Kennedy the discomfiture of coming back to trial. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> uh, yeah, and then the whole yeah the Warren Commission report and I mean there it, it makes no sense. It's one of those things where in, in actually many of these sort of conspiracy type events um, are exactly the same. Where once you start to look into the facts of what happened or question the established government narrative. It just, you realize so quickly that it just does not make any sense whatsoever. So, yeah. So, basically, like, the Warren Commission even refused to um, to speak to uh, to speak to Jack Ruby, which is weird. You'd think that he would be, like, <laughs> a major source of information about what happened that day. Um and Alan Dulles led the commission. He was the longtime shady as fuck uh, director of the CIA who hated Kennedy because Kennedy had recently fired him and was sort of attempting to thwart the military industrial complex in various ways. And um, somehow he manages to get it was technically led by, um, you know, uh, Justice Warren, but 
you know, people said that like it should have been called the Dulles Commission and stuff like that because he was really like running the show and kind of um, controlling the information that the commission was able to review and stuff like that. He also died of, this is what he died of. He had cancer in his brain, lymph nodes, liver, pancreas, pleura, ribs, and vertebrae. Rube, Jack as all, as well as, Yeah, as well as massive tumors in his brain. Nice. So it's kind of like, I don't know, to me that makes me wonder, like, did they just, like, get this dude who was, like, on his, like, on his way out and be like... Yeah. Do this last thing for your your country or whatever. I don't even know who the fuck knows. Yeah. Well, also the CIA can like give people cancer. That is a thing. Yeah. So I guess Tucker is is I mean, we'll see if these tapes ever see the like light of day, but Tucker said that the his source, who he doesn't say who it was, Tucker says the source uh you know, was quoted as saying that, um, that, uh, and this, it sounds like this person, I don't know. I mean, again, obviously Fox news is propaganda too. So I don't even want to pretend that they're not, but, and they made it sound at least the way Tucker positioned it as if this source was like a diehard Patriot American who, after reading the report, like, completely lost faith that the government is legitimate in any way, shape or form, uh, just based on what he read. So, yeah. And I personally, honestly, I think Tucker is a fed, um, like in the same way that all like major kind of media personalities are and must be in order to rise to that level basically. But, um, and I think this kind of whole thing serves to reinforce the idea that, um, you know right conspiracy theories are like a right wing kind of fringe movement or whatever you know um yeah discredit conspiracy theories conspiracy well that's what i was about to say like putting it on tucker basically (laughs) ensures that like a large swath maybe even a majority swath of people are just going to completely uh believe it's bullshit right so it serves that purpose too because if these papers are ever leaked or whatever it's like there's this easily this you know this way to be like oh it's just just misinformation or you know what i mean like only crazy people believe this but apparently uh i read somewhere let me look it up that something like two-thirds of people um at this point don't believe that JFK that that uh that JFK was that the that the Warren Commission told the truth and that's yeah. that stayed pretty uh that stayed pretty um consistent oh public opinion let me find it I want to find the exact uh theory um hold on sixty one percent of American okay. So in 2009, 76, 76% of people polled for CBS News said they believe the president had been killed as the result of a conspiracy. Wow. Um, 76%. And then a 2013 Gallup poll found that 61% of Americans, which is the lowest figure in 50 years, um, believed other people besides Oswald are involved. And uh, and that same... and 
basically it looks like everything I'm reading between 1963 and 2013, the percentage of Americans who believed that it was a conspiracy has ranged anywhere from around 60% to as high as close to 80%. Yeah. So it's a pretty actually like very like massively believed uh, thing that, and, and, you know, who knows the extent of what these people believe, but they essentially all agree that like the mainstream story is not the, in some some way fake, but yeah, I mean, do you also, I'm sure you already know this, but um, the term conspiracy theory is actually arose out of the, uh, a CIA memo, it, you know, it's not the first time it's ever used, but it kind of much more entered the the popular imagination after the JFK ass- assassination, when the CIA um, issued this memo to all of their station directors around the world that um, in response to a couple books that were published questioning the Warren report, and it said t- to tell their media assets to call these people conspiracy theorists and gave them talking points to um to kind of support this argument including the one that we discussed on our moon landing episode that you know conspira- a conspiracy of that magnitude couldn't be kept a secret and all of this stuff so the whole sort of conspiracy theory like uh derogatory term come itself comes from the cia (laughs) what is your understanding because i actually don't know a lot about like this aspect of it but what is your understanding for the reason they wanted him dead um basically i mean i guess there there's different theories or different dimensions to it but the main one that i'm aware of is that he uh he was opposed to military intervention in vietnam and in cuba and the the uh the national security state um i guess led primarily by alan dulles and his cronies um and including the like wall street people on wall street the military industrial complex um want basically wanted um castro out and wanted um never-ending war in vietnam and kennedy was opposed to that also after the bay of pigs thing in cuba where they like did this half-assed attempt to overthrow castro and jfk was pissed about it because he had uh not given it the okay and then after that kind of was botched and kennedy had to take the heat for it he did this famous quote or whatever where he says he wants to smash the cia into a thousand pieces um so he was kind of like pissed and when wanted to like diminish the power of the CIA basically. Yeah. I mean, so we'll see where that goes. I don't know. I don't have a lot of faith that people will pay attention to that because everyone's like, they're all like tr- the triple demic is here. So. All right, let's do it. Sam Bankman Freed. Yeah, yeah. Man of the hour. Um, 
Yeah. Sam Bankman Freed. Um, His name literally being Bank, Bankman. Bankman. And, uh, you know, you hate to mention it, but he does happen to be a member of a certain ethno-religious group. Uh, His parents, Barbara Freed and Joseph Bankman, are both professors at Stanford Law School and apparently have a very fancy house on campus, which is where he was born. So he was born right into the Viper's pit, you know? Um, I think his mom was involved in some kind of political uh, action stuff too. But maybe just for those who don't know or maybe aren't super familiar with it, I guess I just always like to start off with like, what is the story that we're talking? What is yeah? The, you gotta give we gotta give people the basic story because I yeah. there are people listening who <laughs> definitely don't know. Yeah. So, all right, Sam Bankman Freed, um, he owns or was the CEO and founder of this cryptocurrency exchange called FTX, which um, I first became aware of FTX actually in this most recent Super Bowl 2022, which um, I didn't really, I'm not a big football person, but um, my wife wanted to watch because um, she likes to watch the commercials. And this was kind of pretty early on in my sort of COVID red pill moment. So I was like, I guess at that point, it was really more of like a black pill moment. And I remember at that time, like watching these commercials, um, I was just so, I just couldn't shake this horrible feeling of just this outrageous kind of dystopian world that we were living in. And basically all the ads were for like shitty food, like fake food or else basically like crypto funds and products and stuff. And one of them was um, that got a lot of hype was FTX, which had the ad with Larry David. I don't know if you were aware of that or remember it, but it was like Larry David kind of like throughout history. And then it'd be like this caveman and he's like, look, me invent the wheel or whatever. And Larry David's like, meh, that's not so great or whatever. I don't really get it, whatever. And throughout history, all these different inventions, and he's just kind of like, what, you know, I don't know. I don't know about this. And then the new one is FTX or whatever, and he's like, that, what, is, what, what, what is that? I don't know. And uh, they're like, the, the end of it is like, don't be like Larry. Like, you know, <laughs> join FTX. It's the, and their, their tagline was, it's the safe and easy way to get into crypto. Um, but basically, it's a cryptocurrency exchange. <clears throat> um, so if you want to get into crypto, buy some coins or whatever. I'm not really a crypto person, so I probably sound like a dumbass. But um, you could even buy. My understanding was like ten percent of a coin or whatever. Yeah, like fractions of a coin and stuff like that. If you wanted to be like a small time, yeah. Right. And so basically it was this really buzzy crypto company, got a lot of media. He was all over the place doing TV interviews and 
if you weren't following crypto stuff, you may not, they may not have really been on your radar, but like they were a big player in this space. And um, basically, as of November of this year, they pretty spectacularly collapsed. And the sort of official narrative around that is that so I, someone leaked a balance sheet of the company and it was revealed that like they didn't really have that many assets and mo on their balance sheet and most of the assets that they did or like a, a significant portion of the assets that they did have was basically their own token i believe it's called ftt their own cryptocurrency well, and maybe you're getting to this, but also they had given a huge chunk of their cash to Alameda Research. Yes, like their customer which, funds, I think, even. They had they had given to yeah, their sister company, like, Alameda Research, which is, yeah, it's, it's a common thing in the industry to have these like affiliated companies that do different things but maybe share some ownership and management and stuff you're supposed to have like very strict firewalls between the the companies so there's you know you're not like doing shady shit like this um obviously they didn't have that here but well, yeah that even wor even worse caroline ellison who was the ceo of alameda and sam bankman freed were involved in a sexual relationship so worse worse than the firewalls there was <laughs> they were literally living together and sleeping together yeah um yeah caroline ellison is sort of another interesting figure in her own right one of the like goblin people that has popped up in recent yeah, i mean she's, she's hideous and everyone's making fun of her because it's like he was a, he was a billionaire and he was still like fucking her but um yeah. uh she's apparently cooperating with the feds which is why she hasn't been arrested and he has so yeah and so basically they they had i think it was basically loaned a bunch of money to alameda the sister company and the loans were secured with this FTT token, which basically has no real value because it's just the com it's fake money, essentially a fake currency created by the company. And the only way you you create value for this or get people to use it is by you basically they they offer discounts on trading on the platform if you use this currency so there's some incentive if you're an ftx user to own some of this current ftt token because if you trade on it you can get better prices on stuff other than that no one it's not has no intrinsic value and some other guy from a different company somehow saw this on the balance sheet and basically announced that they were going to sell like $500 million of their, basically liquidate $500 million of FTT that they held and just sell it all and put it into the market. And when that happened, the, the value of the token just collapsed because all of a sudden the market was flooded with it and no one really wanted it. The company then had all these loans that it couldn't pay back because its collateral had become worthless. And the company filed for bankruptcy. 
at first they didn't arrest SBF because they were having him do this sort of awkward, like, I'm sorry, publicity tour where he was like, you know, I, I didn't really want this to happen. I'm sorry it happened or whatever. Um, and then eventually people just got so pissed that I guess they caved to the pressure and he was like chilling out in the Bahamas and they, uh, they indicted him and, and the Bahamian. Well, he was, I mean, let's, let's, let's get to the nitty gritty of that because he was living in a luxury penthouse in the Bahamas with 10 (laughs) other people (laughs) who were from both FTX and Alameda research, including Caroline Ellison. Then there's a lot of rumors about what was going on up in that stank house. But, (laughs) um, you know, they're all like really unattractive MIT grads. They were apparently in a polycule, Caroline Ellison's Tumblr talks about how much Adderall they were all taking all the time, um, which is interesting because I don't really think of Adderall as like a very sexy drug, but whatever. Um, And his parents were staying nearby some of the time in a $16 million, uh, you know, uh, estate that was owned by the, um, by FTX. And I guess this is where the part, I guess I can take over a little bit here. We could talk about effective altruism. So Sam Bankman-Fried's mother um, is a woman, and he's only 30. So let's just like get that out there too. So it's another one of those like wonderkind situations. But Barbara Fried, who's a professor of law at Stanford Law School, um, she co-founded this organization called Mind the Gap, which advocates for Democratic Party candidates um, and funds get out the vote, uh, you know, uh, basically, uh, like, kind of initiatives. And Bankman and her son was, of course, um, you know, donating a shit ton of money to this organization. And that's because the whole family was uh, kind of believed in this idea called effective altruism, which is this idea that you should try to make as much money as you um, possibly can in order to affect as much positive change as you can in the world, which is a flawed notion in and of itself because to make a lot of money, you often have to do really fucked up things to the world to even make that money. But uh, the idea was that you had to get as rich as you possibly could in order to have as much money at your disposal to give to as many people as possible. So um, part of this... I I think, just real quick too, I think that's another point to make just about the sort of controversy of this is that he gave, yeah, like millions and millions of dollars to various democratic candidates and other like democrat you know fundraising organizations as well as set up this like weird cryptocurrency donation thing for ukraine um which is you know another like democrat kind of elite like money laundering scam you know um yeah and we're not i mean just to be clear like we are not talking about small amounts of money like um, he, you know, in the 2022 midterm elections, right before the collapse of XTX, 
his total donations to Democratic super PACs were $39.8 million. Huge money. Um, and he, uh, in even before that, in just 2021 and 2022, this is a whole separate amount, he gave a total of $27 million to um, Democrat-backed super PACs. So he was a huge, huge player in all of this. He also donated $18 million uh, to support the TOGETHER trial, which was about getting the vaccines out to more people. So he was throwing big fucking money around. Like, this is not, this is someone who was a major donor. He's now claimed since the fall of FTX that he was also funneling money to Republican super PACs through dark money channels. But that to me just seems like, a total Which, like I, I think it is true that he did s- to some degree but no no significantly less than to democrats it also seems like pointing that out is trying to get people to say like you know it wasn't a democrat thing like right. <laughs> you know right. like whereas he was like definitely very him and his his parents are stanford liberals and his parents were very much like you know involved in the whole enterprise they had purchased i don't even remember the exact number but something close to 70 or 80 million dollars worth of real estate in the last year um so they you know obviously i'm sure they're getting paid well as stanford professors but that's clearly not from their stanford (laughs) salary and 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 connected to the effective altruism thing like yes his part of his whole like you know young billionaire image media image that was publicized so much is that yeah he was like a he he wasn't doing it for to make himself rich and in fact would like believe that he needed to like get rich specifically to like give away as much money as possible and he was like a kind of like a weird like this shady lib like that and he was also like a big like vegan they do things where it's like what does SBF have in his fridge? And he opens it up and it's all like, just like dozens of bottles of like just egg and shit like that, which is like a, like a vegan, like egg substitute that's made of like mung bean protein mixed with canola oil and, you know, like beyond meat and shit like that. So very much on the kind of Bill Gates, like world economic forum, tip in that regard as well apparently his parents have filed a petition to try to get him vegan meals in prison so we'll see how (laughs) we'll see how that goes but um i guess my take on it as a gay man who doesn't really understand all this stuff is that I don't really understand crypto or why we need or why we need crypto or why it's should have any value at all whatsoever. But it does seem like he kind of broke the cardinal rule, which is really the only thing you're not allowed to do in America, which is he took a lot of money from a lot of really rich people. So Yeah, well that you I mean he took a bunch of money from a lot of people. I suspect that most of the like rich people or at least politically connected people um, made money off the scam. Um, I think it's also worth 
noting that so i have a whole like theory on this this whole like op basically um which i can't even really take credit for it goes to whitney webb really who's um uh i just kind of like looked at her research on it which was incredible um but there's a long line of sort of similar ops where a shady company that doesn't make any sense kind of a you know has this meteoric rise out of nowhere and gets a lot of publicity often with like a young you know um founder one example and then eventually kind of like collapses or whatever spectacularly one recent example being theranos with elizabeth holmes and you can see there she was so there was the company didn't make any sense what they said they were doing they got all this money from like mil, uh, department of defense and were connected with these deep state people george schultz and all these it's, it, it didn't make any sense um and uh even like things like um amazon and facebook like I don't know. Amazon doesn't really make any any money. It's not very profitable with the exception of Amazon Web Services, which is like server hosting basically for um and they that one of their main clients is the CIA and <laughs> so they the Amazon Web Services hosts like this all the CIA servers and uh even Facebook is uh Mark Zuckerberg, you know, he dropped out of Harvard and just founded like what the biggest company in the world and whatever and it just so happens that they're using it to like harvest all this data and control the information that everyone gets and whatever, you know. So there this is a very common um thing that happens and then the narratives that the public receives about these companies are often very different from what was going on behind the scenes and the origins of the company so that was kind of like whitney webb's research on this stuff was super interesting and it actually kind of all comes back to this idea of ethical altruism um so so she thinks it's just all completely fake basically yeah well i mean and that's pretty clear actually if you like um sam bankman fried was he, he went to mit first of all which is like deep state university number three or something i don't know there's like yale is probably the big one in the united states um and i mean all the ivies but um mit is another big one they do all kinds of shady like military technology research there and stuff so he went to mit he was a physics major he wasn't even did anything with finance um and the 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 business model that everyone talks about of like how ftx got its start makes no sense where basically the claim is that they were arbitraging bitcoin where they noticed that bitcoin sold at a higher price in japan than it did in the united states so they would like buy bitcoin in the united states and sell it in japan and make a profit doing that but it doesn't make i mean like no one else would have noticed that or capitalized on it that an already existing company goldman sachs or something you know it just doesn't and how did they get the capital to do that to even like buy all the bitcoin and 
resell you know it's just it, none of it why would they hire this like random like teen to run the company like it doesn't so um but basically how uh sbf got into the financial world is through this guy will mccaskill who, okay. william mccaskill who is an oxford professor um oxford being like deep state university in the uk um famous for um you know being like an mi6 and mi5 breed like pipeline and um also for the famous Rhodes scholarships which you know it, it's uh supposed to be you know this just scholarly you know um prestigious thing but Cecil Rhodes whom it's named after was um openly sort of believed that like the anglosphere should dominate the world and created this scholarship wow, this, guy's to, not, this guy's not very old either he's only 35 yes yeah will mccaskill yeah and so yeah the road scholarship super sus and like a lot of people like uh pete Buttigieg was a road scholar and then goes into intelligence and then becomes like shoots up out of nowhere as a political person oh my god uh, can i read you something about can i interrupt you just to yeah yeah go about, for it go for it McCaskill, who was born Krauts, argues that men should change their last name when they get married. He and his ex-wife changed their name to McCaskill, her maternal grandmother's maiden name. McCaskill and his former wife authored article together on topics of ethical debate. They divorced in 2015. He's experienced both anxiety and depression, and out of concern for animal welfare, he's a vegetarian. I just, yeah. it just sounds so cuck soy boy. <laughs> the whole thing is just so funny to me. Yeah, McCaskill <laughs> is not his given name. No, no yeah. it's not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just funny to me that, yeah, whatever. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and again, this, this goes back to the Operation Mockingbird thing where, like, in addition to having journalists on the CIA payroll, same thing, but with academics in, in a lot of prominent universities. So um, also Bill Clinton's a Rhodes Scholar, um, many other like the former, uh, you know, leader, three different prime ministers of Australia, Canada, Jamaica, Pakistan, all this stuff. So Rhodes Scholars coming out of Oxford, the director of the NIH, former director was uh, a Rhodes Scholar. So anyways, um, the Oxford thing and then this. Will, William McCaskill is involved with this organization called the Center for Effective Altruism, which is a, an Oxford-affiliated um, nonprofit that is dedicated to effective altruism. And so, yeah, I think we can talk about that at this point, and then I, I can explain how William McCaskill basically groomed sbf into his yeah, that's, i mean that's the word i was waiting to hear because i remember similar to kind of how aoc was like found by like uh you know kind of like left-leaning democratic like organization that was looking for politicians just like her and essentially primed her to be this like major celebrity um I, i'm just saying like basically i remember reading that ftx was essentially very similarly found and uh, 
kind of like, you know, moved up into this position, which is interesting because more and more you real you, I feel like, I don't know if this is always true, but certainly people who are younger, who are around our age, uh, it seems more and more it's all very orchestrated. There's very little like organic rise to this these sorts of positions, you know? No, it, it never happened. I mean, very rarely can you find someone who is totally unconnected to um, basically like the intelligence community or national security state in, in some way or finance. Um, but finance is all intermixed with that stuff too. So... Um, yeah, so effective altruism, I had never, not really heard of this before I started looking into it, but it is extremely shady. Um, it's basically this idea that you can sort of scientifically analyze morality and like determine what is the best course of action for people to take. So like on one level, there's sort of a non-sinister element to it. If you apply it just on sort of this individual level, like you could say, um, I could go out and spend five bucks on a beer at the bar tonight. Or I could like donate that $5 to someone in Africa and they can like buy life-saving medicine or something. And so, you know, according to this framework, like that would be the moral thing to do and whatever. Fair enough. But, um, so buying a $16 million Bahamas estate. <laughs> yeah. Um, you should buy the estate. You should give the 16 million to someone who's poor. Right. I mean, yeah, theoretically, but even on a so anal, analyzing it, like not even just as hypocrite, hypocritical, it's just sort of inherently problematic and akin to this sort of social credit system that people were talking about a lot in regards to the COVID stuff, um, as well as then it gets even shadier when you think about FTX being a cryptocurrency company and people talking about like, implementing a central bank digital currency as a way of enforcing the social credit system. Um, but yeah, so like it, you, the sort of typical like moral framework that most people think about in the Western world, at least is like, basically you can do whatever you want. You're free to kind of like live your life, except for just like, you're not supposed to do certain things like think going back to the 10 commandments or something like thou shalt not kill as long as you like follow those few rules, like pretty much anything else goes. But under the idea of effective altruism, it's almost like every action that people can engage in should be um, surveilled and nudged in such a way to like benefit the most people in the best way possible. Um, and you know, like liberty, I mean, I'm civil honest, liberties sounds, don't really matter. Sounds sort of good in like theory. Uh, I mean, I'm just being, honest. yeah, kind of. Except for the idea is that like there's um there's like a technocratic class that gets to kind of decide, <laughs> you know, what uh, actions are the most moral and and basically enforce those decisions on the population. Right. I mean, that's the part that I think 
So like, and very, it very much sounds nice, right? Like, let's do because you know so much uh, money, as we now know, is wasted um, in organizations just sitting around figuring out who's the most trans or whatever, um, <laughs> and they're not actually like helping any you know poor people. But um, you know, the, but that's the problem. It's kind of like the Bill and Melinda Gates like dilemma, right? Like, it's not that. <laughs> it's like <laughs> these people think that they're the ones to decide. That's yeah, that, that they, they know best, and they should use all their power to like make everyone else live how they think they should live. Right, while, and it's while very... not really following the rules themselves. <laughs> Right. And it's very at its core classist and racist and all these things that they pretend to espouse that they're not because the whole idea is that they are, they are truly better than everyone. And they, they get to decide uh, how everyone should live. And you're right. And they never, ever, ever, ever follow those rules themselves ever. Right. Right. And like, so like Bill Gates is obsessed with the environment, the climate or whatever, and so then people are like, well, you literally fly all over the world in a private jet. So how does that work? And then he comes up with this idea of um, carbon, what is it, like carbon offset. So he can do all the private jet and all this shit as long as he like, he, he pays like millions of dollars each year to like plant trees or whatever to offset his carbon footprint. But it's like, right. okay, but you could still plant all the trees and shit and not fly in your private jet and like offset even more carbon. You know, it's like, it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> and like most people aren't in a position where they can just choose to like pay extra money to offset their carbon footprint. So for those people, you're just limiting like the choices that they have. Well, and the sacrifices that you're at, we, like the New York Times had a quiz yesterday that was like, what are the most effective ways like you can like reduce your carbon footprint? And it's like all like, you know, it's so depressing because it's like these, <laughs> it's like asking these like, uh, you know, average people to do, <laughs> to make these like sacrifices to make their like already difficult lives, even like a little more difficult. Like I, there's about to be a big like, up about cars i can see it coming yeah like no one's no one should be allowed to have a car and then it's like you know it's just making um everyone's lives like a little more miserable and then uh, the people who are you know putting these policies out are living with the exact opposite of <laughs> miserable lives because they're eating whatever the fuck they want they're living however the fuck they want bill gates's house is i read somewhere is 50,000 square feet. What does it take to heat and, you know, cool that place? It's like, yeah. So it's just, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, exactly. Like for, you know, I'll be much more like on board with the whole climate thing. If we, if the first step is the private jet ban, I'll start to take it a lot more seriously at that point. Yeah, what if they banned private jets and what if all of what if all of them were like we are going to live in a thousand square feet or less. Right. Yeah. Which is what they want all of us to do, right? They want all of us to like live in like tiny little tiny little box apartments. So like 
once like Bill Gates and Jennifer Lopez and like whatever, you know, I just want all the richest celebrities and yeah. politicians and stuff. I want all of them to move into little box houses yeah. and live like that and like live like that for a year and give up their cars and give up their private jets. Right. I mean, they um, should be like, model citizens, right? Right. And if they did that, then I would maybe, and, and they were like, yep, this is, this is a fine way to live. Like I loved Jennifer Lopez. I loved, I don't know why I'm choosing her. I just think it's funny. <laughs> He's like, I loved having me and my three kids in this 1000 square foot apartment. And we, we walked to the, um, Bodegi Quito every day and got <laughs> our the city Lopez. bus. Yeah, took the city, took sat on the city, but and then and then she's like, yeah, it was fine. I loved it. There was nothing demoralizing about this life. I'd be like, okay, <laughs> well, maybe, you know, yeah. but that wouldn't happen because that life for I mean, all of that is demoralizing, <laughs> and they don't want to live like that because they know it sucks. It's incredibly disingenuous. They want everyone else to live like that. Um. So yeah. Anyways. The Center for Effective Altruism. So uh, SBF talks about this a lot, but uh, talks about like this belief system, but the details of it are incredibly shady. So William McCaskill basically handpicks SBF from MIT um, to thinking that like he, I guess, the story is that he just could sense that he had such potential to make a lot of money and that he would make the money with the specific purpose of like giving it away and implementing this effective altruism um, philosophy. And um, also definitely worth noting that the co-founder of Alameda Research institute with which is the sister company to to uh, ftx the co-founder along with sam bankman freed is this woman um what is her name tamara mccauley or something like that tara mccauley who was the ceo or the director of the center for effective altruism let's see and so yeah oh yeah so then mccaskill basically tells SBF to get into finance and hooks him up with this uh, internship at Jane Street, which is a, you know, a, a proprietary trading firm, like an algorithmic trading firm. Her name uh, is actually even weirder. It's Tara Mac Allay. So it's Tara M-A-C space A-U-L-A-Y. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So they co-founded this company together on um, this financial firm. And, you know, basically the, the, the company has no real like legitimate business model. It's very similar to, to Theranos in that regard, where, you know, a lot of these companies are just funded with like Silicon Valley, you know, investor capital, which is all kind of deep state connected, you know, same thing with Facebook where Facebook didn't like make any money for a long time. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, there's just doesn't doesn't quite add up and then how like spectacularly successful it came the company only started in 2019 um ftx and then um became you know made this the sbf a billionaire and he funneled a ton of money to these million dollars yeah 
he and then he funneled all this money to Ukraine and to Democrat candidate political candidates and I'm sure other his parents and whatever all these other people and then it collapses. I think like Whitney Webb's theory is that while it was inevitable that this company would collapse and that it would happen in some kind of spectacular way that it seems like it collapsed maybe like before it was intended to. Um, but yeah, like the, the, all the regulators, the financial industry regulators just turned a blind eye completely. The SEC is a big one who just had claims to have had no idea what um, was going on. The SEC is very closely connected with the CIA um in yeah in i mean regard- surely surely the way this is like should work is you can't move billions of dollars out of your company and uh you know secure it by your own made-up money and then move it to another <laughs> and move it to another company that doesn't i mean even me like someone who's like basically like wet brain and has no idea what's going on like under like that would be that's so weird that would be like me giving you of someone else's money and saying it's secured against like monopoly money. Like essentially, you know, like I can guarantee, I can guarantee this $50,000 is fine because I have $50,000 of monopoly money in my closet. Like it's, it's absurd. Surely there should be a checks and balance in place to prevent that. I mean, Right. So um, it, it, and it, it makes it makes it makes it real. It makes you realize that it, it can only be happening by design. There's no other, even remotely possible explanation. Right. And and yeah, like Gary Gensler is the current um, SEC c- commissioner. He's an also an MIT guy, like SBF. Um, he was an Obama and Hillary and Biden person. He spent 18 years at Goldman Sachs, which is like the deep state bank, basically. Um, there, you know, like, uh, every administration, the, the secretary of the treasury has been a former Goldman person. I don't even know, probably like 80% of the time over the past century. Um, even Trump, who was like drain the swamp. All his cabinet were like Goldman people, um, and uh, and then also um, in the wake of uh, this collapse uh, of FTX, the um, company fired SBF, you know, and hired as CEO this guy John Ray the Third, who was. Um, in charge of the investigation of Enron after Enron collapsed in a sort of similarly shady way and um, also helped drafted this law afterwards, the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, that basically um, kind of further connected like the government and, um, and corporations involved with like finance and accounting. So... Um, and all, there's also this whole notion that like, um, crypto is in itself sort of a government op, um, 
like Bitcoin, you know, has this whole mythology about how the no one knows who the founder is. And it's supposed to be this like Japanese guy, Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, but like basically a lot of people think it was like a deep state technology and um, kind of lines up with the FTX thing where like earlier in 2022, there was this cryptocurrency collapse that happened where like the price of Bitcoin and like basically every other cryptocurrency collapsed. Um, and FTX kind of was one of the few companies to really navigate the storm in a good position. Um, of course, before this happened. Um, so it's just, it's, it's pretty interesting and, you know, it's hard to know exactly like what the scam was precisely, but, um, it's, pretty clear as always that it's not like there's more to the story than what we're being told well i mean obviously a lot's going to come out as the trial goes on um i mean it'll probably be a warren commission type deal where they, they and this is what always happens too like with theranos they blame it all on the charismatic founder or whatever so called charismatic founder and they're kind of end up being a scapegoat and we can say oh yeah it was all sam bankman fried's fault when really he's an, he's an, he's a know nothing person that they plucked out of mit to just run this shit and be the front man for whatever the fuck was going on behind the scenes you know yeah well it got a lot of money to democratic organizations it funded a bunch of covid shit it gave money to ukraine <laughs> yep. um I mean, I agree that they didn't get as as much juice as it seems like they would have wanted out of this because keeping it going another five years, you know, could have certainly gotten more people. Um, yeah, a lot more money, it seems. Yeah. There's also been this, I guess, I guess it's worth mentioning since we went, since you went through the, and I like, I like that we're doing a non-gay episode so that <laughs> a, a can have some like fun uh have some fun you you seem really alive and lit up right now but um yeah i feel like one, i'm not like making the case that amazingly but i encourage people to look into it themselves and specifically look up whitney webb's um research on this it was pretty compelling well what i was going to talk about is there was a whole like you know kind of our corner of twitter blow up about um, all of this because there were just so many funny details. Um, so there was also that, all of that. And SBF, I think, was sort of like this like sweaty, gross, Fetterman style. Like he wore like disgusting, like, you know, track shorts and shit like that, like on stage. And um, Caroline Ellison, like I said, is definitely like a, you know, hollow world creature of some kind, like who knows what's going on with that. Um, and they just all seem like kind of greasy, gross, like an internet pilled Adderall addicts. So there was also this, and the whole polycule thing, it's like, it's like the people you it's like it's always funny because it's like the people who are like doing the orgies are never people the people that anyone would ever actually want to like have an orgy with like any like sensible person because if you look at pictures of these people it's like i i would very easily turn down that orgy that's um, always how it is i mean i don't know maybe it's different in in like gay world but like 
amongst the straight crowd like it's always these type of people who are into the like poly like swinging lifestyle or whatever i think with gay guys it's like this i i tend to believe it's the same i'm sure that there's like i'm sure if you want to go to like a i'm sure in like if you're in like new york or san francisco and you want to go to some like roidy <laughs> dude's apartment you can probably be with some like other like muscly type guys but i don't you know i don't think the hottest people are really doing this in in my opinion like the no loads refused come down <laughs> bottom is usually i in my opinion usually not that. the hottest people don't really need to be uh don't really need to be doing all that but i don't know unless it's for a porn shoot of course uh Anyway, so all that, there was tons of jokes about that. There was tons of jokes about Caroline Ellison's looks. I, I, I mean, you know, whatever. I guess I'll go ahead and throw a bone to the left and say that, like, making fun of Caroline Ellison's looks, the way it was, like, spread across the internet and, like, not uh, making fun of Sam Bankman-Fried's looks is a little... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It definitely shows some sexism because they're both, you know, hideous. But like, I mean, uh, like, yeah, I agree. And the they're probably, I mean, SBF is like, might even be like less attractive ultimately. But Caroline Ellison is like more like just freaky looking. Like she looks like weird as hell, like an alien. How many years for Caroline Ellison for you? No, none. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> no amount. No infinite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She'd have to like, d like date rape me. I could probably blow SBF at like <laughs> drink. At, like, I think, I don't think I could have sex with him, but I could probably like, but I could probably blow SBF at like drink five. Wow. You know, I think so. I mean, Five is this consider? I guess if you keep in mind that he's a billionaire, maybe that has something. To well, do. I mean, gay guys, you know, everything is just the the bar is just so much lower, you know, like uh, for yeah. you know what you're willing to engage in that it is for straight people. I think, generally speaking, so interesting. I mean, he's just so God, but yeah. I mean, I, you know, it wouldn't take much for me to, like, I mean, if I was single, it wouldn't take much for me to get, like, for me to really give any man a blowjob. It'd have to be pretty, <laughs> it'd have to be pretty low on the totem pole for that to be, like, totally out of the question, you know? Interesting. Um, but God. I've seen some people say, I've seen some straight guys say they don't think Caroline Ellison is as bad as everyone's making her out to be, so. Well, the media's trying to portray her as, like, a, a darling of the new right or whatever because she posted some like quasi based like blog posts or something um but i don't really it's i don't know it doesn't really check it doesn't i never really saw anyone like authentically expressing that opinion on twitter so that she was hot that she was hot or like an interesting political thinker or something well here's the type of shit she was posting on tumblr how do i signal my genuinely sweet and feminine nature on my dating pro profile should it go before or after the section on wire fraud 
Yikes. She was, Exhibit she one. Yeah, she was listening. Posting that a long time ago. Um, there was one. Yeah, other, she's let me really weird looking. Let me look up SPF now. She is really weird looking. I was gonna find there was one more funny thing she did on Tumblr that I think is making people think this like based this based thing. Because um, yeah, he has okay. like some photos where he looks like okay. He's wearing like a nice. I mean, little he's a fat, I mean, he's a fat vegan, so already like <laughs> fuck that. Um, okay, here's what she wrote: a tr- trigger, I guess, content warning, offensive. Sorry, I feel like part of me is interested in HBD, and the same part of me that loves personality types. I don't know what HBD is. In which character you are quizzes. My brain just has strong has a strong impulse to put people in categories. There's a stereotype of racist people that they will like assume any East Asian person speaks Chinese or something. I appreciate that HBD people are the exact opposite of that and will make fun of you for saying something about Indians without without specifying province and caste because, come on, the genetic differences there are massive. God, she sounds so Adderalled out. Hashtag racism. (laughs) Like, seriously, she must have just taken, like, 80 milligrams of Adderall or something. Yeah, so I guess that's the shit she's posting, the shit they like, the race, the race science stuff. Um, Yeah, but again, like, I never saw anyone actually, like, posting about that on Twitter. I just saw, like, the New York Times or whatever, The Atlantic being like, is Carolyn Ellison, like, a darling of the new right or whatever, (laughs) you know? Here's another one she wrote. People of European ancestry are always idealizing the strong extended family ties of people with Asian ancestry. And it's like, bitch, your ancestors didn't embark on a world-changing experiment of dismantling traditional kinship structures in favor of neo-local residents, <laughs> creating societies founded on impartial personality or, or imp- Im- impartial pro-sociality and paving the way for market economies and representative democracy for you to wax lyrical about how sad it is that your grandparents are in a nursing home that you never visit. Damn. She seems really tweaked out. Man. Yes, exactly. Okay. That's last cool. one. Last one. This one's the funny one. When I first started my foray into Polly, I thought of it as a radical break from my trad past, but to be honest, I've come to decide the only acceptable style of policy is best characterized as something like Imperial Chinese harem. None of this non-hierarchical bullshit. Everyone should have a ranking of their partners. People should know where they fall in the ranking, and there should be a vicious power struggle for the higher ranks. <laughs> hashtag hashtag crypto, crypto social conservative blogging. Hashtag personal. That's kind of funny. I guess so, yeah. I mean... I mean, I don't know if she intended it to be funny or not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, where do you think you're going to be in the rank, girl? Like, (laughs) well, I'm telling you, amongst these people, like, I don't know. I mean, as far as the the thoroughbred CEO of this like fake finance company, you know? Yeah, but as far as the thoroughbred mares go, I think Caroline (laughs) Allison's she's headed to the glue factory, man. They're just those are just you know. She's not she's not going to the breedable, the breedable section, in my opinion. Yeah. Anyway, well, we've done an hour 40. Should we uh maybe wrap it up here? That's cool. Do you have any closing thoughts and or prayers? 
Um, no, I, I want everyone to have a very Merry Christmas. Um, I am actually celebrating Hanukkah tomorrow. So I'm going to a Hanukkah celebration at our Jewish gay friend's house, as long as they don't have COVID because everyone's still, I guess, pretending that's a huge thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> I miss Twitter. I miss you guys. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll give you a, a warm welcome upon your return. <laughs> yeah, I'll need it. Do you have any last thoughts and prayers? Um, not really. I just implore everyone, although most people who listen to this podcast are already on this page, but just to not believe um, any of the horse shit that we're, is shoveled into our mouth um, about all these ridiculous stories. Um, and uh, I think we'll all be a, a lot better off in the, in that case yeah and also we will i promise this is like a big thing of ours we're gonna get more uh content on the patreon so go subscribe a few more of you have have subscribed so thank you <laughs> just <laughs> just the it, it really does uh help us uh make this quality con- content for all of you so <laughs> such quality all right peace everyone